Hey, I'm Justin Anderson, lead pastor at Icon Church, and I'm super thankful that you would join us here on our podcast. For the next four weeks, we're doing something just a little bit different. Our sister church, Doxa in Bellevue, does an annual summer series called Voices, where they bring in outside communicators uh, to bless the congregation during the summer months. Well, this year, we get to join with them. And so for the next four weeks, instead of hearing from me, you're going to hear from Jackie Hill Perry, from Mark Sayers, John Tyson, and John Mark Comer. I could not be more excited for this, and I know this is going to be a blessing to you. Jeff asked me to teach on Sabbath, which is kind of a life message for me, and it's fun to talk about. So please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, and let's take a look at Jesus and the Sabbath. Jesus once asked in a famous line, are you tired? That's Eugene Peterson's translation. For those of us who are living through 2020, the answer is an emphatic yes. And not just tired in our body, I mean, for sure that. I came down with shingles a month or two ago. It's like, okay, time to slow down but tired at a soul level from living through the fear and the kind of hike of emotion that is COVID-19, of a global recession, of systematic racism, of the political polarization. Ronald Roheiser, a Catholic writer I love, said recently that our nation's more divided now than it's ever been since the Civil War. A lot of us just feel that the kind of common refrain that I hear right now from people, at least in our church, is, how are you? I'm just tired. But Jesus went on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Not just for your body, you can get that from a doctor and a pill, but from your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke was a first century Jewish idiom for a rabbi's way of life and his way of reading the Torah and his way of kind of being human in the world. Take my way of life upon you and you will find rest for your soul itself, that deep center and integration of your being. And central to the kind of yoke of Jesus, or if you prefer, the way of Jesus, is the practice of Sabbath. Take a look at Mark chapter 2. Let's pick it up in verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, pause. There is no law against snacking on the Sabbath in the Torah. If you read you know, Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy, it's not there. The Torah just says, quote, on six days you shall work and do all your labor, but the seventh is a day of rest to the Lord your God. That's number four in the Ten Commandments. The problem is that the Torah never defines work or rest. Would you agree that both are a little bit ambiguous, right? What is, is exercise work? Is gardening work? Or is it rest? What about cooking? All of that. So the Pharisees added hundreds of rules about what you could or could not do on the Sabbath, 
which they call building a fence around the Torah. In the same way when you go to a state park and there's something really precious there that you don't want to disrupt, usually there's a fence around it and it's not right in front of it, it's 10 feet back or 20 feet back or 50 feet back to make sure you don't overstep and harm something that is precious. In the same way, they called it building a fence around the Torah. Later, these hundreds, and there literally were hundreds of rules about the Sabbath in particular, were codified in a writing called the Mishnah. Now, Jesus, very short summary, is pro-Torah and anti-Mishnah. In another story, he calls all of the rules and regulations that have grown up on top of the Torah, quote, human tradition. This matters because it means that Jesus and his disciples are not breaking the Torah's laws, but the Mishnah's laws. Not breaking God's laws and intention, but human laws and intention. Which, does that make sense? Which is why Jesus goes on to say, verse 25, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some them to him, his companions. Now, those of you that have read the Old Testament or do the read through the Bible in a year, you recognize that kind of obscure story from the history. Jesus is appealing here to Torah observant Jews with a story from the scriptures of his day about the heart behind the law of the Sabbath. Then 27, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, or that can be translated for humans, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This little two-line saying, or really it's a teaching of Jesus, I think it's one of his most important teachings on the Sabbath. But it's tricky to translate from first century Jewish culture, which was very conservative, to 21st century Seattle culture or Portland culture or Bellevue culture or kind of Pacific Northwest, super secular, very progressive. It's very different because most first century Jews needed to hear the second part of Jesus' teaching. The Sabbath was made for man, not man or humans for the Sabbath. Meaning, listen, you've lost the plot line. You've turned this life-giving practice of a day of rest and worship to God into a kind of soul-sucking legalistic rule that is oppressive over people in the day. But here's the trick. I would argue, and feel free to push back here, but I would argue that most 21st century Americans need to hear the first part of his teaching, the Sabbath was made for man or for humans. We tend to have the exact opposite problem. It's not that we have hundreds of legalistic rules about the Sabbath, it's that we don't have any. Like literally, most of us have zero. For the most part, we don't even have a Sabbath. I grew up in a church tradition where Sabbath was not even on my radar. And this was a very rigorous, like disciple of Jesus kind of church tradition. Sabbath was like not even in my field of vision. Isn't that like a Jewish thing or like a Seventh-day Adventist thing or what? Is that weird? I don't know, I'm not really into that. I follow Jesus. A day off, sure, church on Sunday, or when I was younger in the 80s and 90s, we called it the Lord's Day, that we had a pattern for that or paradigm for that. But Sabbath, not really. And we need it now more than ever before. 
and the busyness of urban life with all the noise and the traffic and the distraction, nonstop distraction of the digital age of news alerts and 24-7 news cycle and social media uprights and what Microsoft researcher Linda Stone once called continuous partial attention. We're never really all the way here at the focal point of the moment. And the chaos of COVID-19 and a global recession and the long-term struggle for racial justice and the political polarization and the loss of civility in our world and the rapid uptick in mental health diagnosis and even in the suicide rate and the fight for the soul of our nation, we desperately need to recapture this ancient practice of Sabbath. One of the most downloaded TED Talks of all time is The Art of Stillness by Pico Ayer, where he argues for what he calls a secular Sabbath, his language, not mine. He literally has a little book about it where he writes about his travel all over the world to Trappist abbeys to study under Christian monks. He's not a Christian person. And his basic argument is that even if you're not a Christian, you desperately need this for your body and your soul. Because, watch what happens next. Chapter three, verse one. Remember the chapter breaks not there in the original Greek. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Interesting. After Jesus teaching on how the Sabbath was made for the human soul, but the Pharisees kind of lost the plot line, comes a story about a man with an experience of healing on the Sabbath day. That's not a coincidence. That's the, the writer Mark, who's kind of a literary genius. That's his kind of connect the dots from teaching to story, or really an illustration of truth. In fact, did you know that the majority of Jesus' healings take place on the Sabbath? I, for one, don't think that is random. I think that is deliberate on, on purpose. Why? Because the Sabbath is a day for healing, or if you prefer, a day for salvation. Now that might sound like a different concept to you, and I love to say this. In the original language of the New Testament, in Greek, the word, the Greek word soteria is the same word that's translated both healing and salvation. So when you're reading through the four gospels and you read that Jesus healed somebody, and then in the next story you read that Jesus saves somebody, or in the same story when you read Jesus healed a woman and then he said your faith has saved you, you're reading the exact same Greek word. It's not two different words in the original language. Meaning what? Meaning salvation is a kind of healing and healing is a kind of salvation. This is the ancient kind of orthodox, kind of pre-modern view of even the atonement, that it's about the healing of the soul and our return to union with God. 
Sabbath is a means by which Jesus does his work of healing. So Sabbath doesn't do it, Jesus does it by the Spirit in our body, in our mind, in our soul. But Sabbath is the means by which Jesus does part of his work of healing and the salvation of our soul as we return to union with God. This was true in the first century, and I would argue it's just as true today. In my own practice of Sabbath, you know, we practice kind of from Friday night at sunset to Saturday just because Sunday, which is the best day for most followers of Jesus, is a very long work day, or at least it was pre-COVID for me. And on a dream week, you know, I don't overwork, I, I don't hurry my way through my week, and I come to the Sabbath tired but ready to just kind of put my feet up and delight in the work of the last six days and my life before God and his good world. But reality, a lot of the time I overwork, I hurry, or life is chaos, or the world is just full of so much pain and injustice and suffering, it's hard to even feel joy. And so I often come just overtired and collapse and then need time to recover. And so most of the time we start at night and we eat and I go to bed early. And then pretty much every week, Saturday, there's a point, depending on how tired I am, either kind of mid-morning to mid-afternoon, worst case scenario, but there's always a point in that day where all of the sudden I just feel my soul come back alive again. And I feel like this expansion where before I felt my soul constrict down to just kind of anger and anxiety and fatigue. I feel it kind of open back up and increase its capacity for wonder and joy. I start to just feel gratitude come for me. I start to just feel the presence of God more around me at a soul level. That's the healing and the salvation of my soul. But notice in the story, do the Pharisees see the healing and throw a party? No, they plot to assassinate Jesus as a threat to the status quo. And while we in the Pacific Northwest tend to have the exact opposite problem to the Pharisees, not legalism, but liberalism, still it's easy to miss the plot line behind the Sabbath in an example of what sociologists call concept creep and to lose sight of what the Sabbath is all about. So to end, here's my basic summary of what the Sabbath is all about from the four English translations in your Bible of the Hebrew word Shabbat, which is where we get the English word Sabbath. It is about stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. A short word on each. First off, it's about stopping. The most literal translation of the Hebrew word Shabbat is to stop. Clearly, it's to stop working for a day, for a full 24 hours. The Sabbath is not the same thing as a day off. Um, on a day off, we play, we have fun, we watch TV, whatever, but we also do all of the work we don't get paid for, whether that's we mow the lawn if you have one, or you, you know, do all your laundry, or you clean up, or you pay the bills, or whatever it is for you. We do all the work that we don't get paid for. In our house, there's a running debate over what is work and whether or not washing dishes is work on the Sabbath. So my wife and I disagree, I think it is, and so we have a very very large sink that we put in. It's a Sabbath sink, so we can just pile all the dishes in. And at the end of 24 hours, we have, you know, three children. It's like full to the brim. She does not agree with me. And so once in a while, she'll sneak in and just clean all the dishes without me or whatever. 
pray for us, and we're, we're in need. But the point is, it's not a day to work at all. We stop not just all of our paid work, but all work. Second, we stop even thinking about working. I read a study recently that said just thinking about work releases the same chemicals that induce stress in our nervous system and our bodies as working itself does. So if you're sitting on your couch on a nice summer day and you're playing your guitar, reading your novel or whatever you're doing, and all of a sudden you start to think about you know, a conflict with your boss or a presentation you have, your body has the same experience as if you were in the meeting or in your office. We have to discipline and cultivate kind of that mental discipline to set aside all of our thoughts about work for the day. We're we're also to stop third, worrying. We stop carrying not just our physical burdens, but our intellectual for the majority of us in the knowledge economy, as well as the emotional and relational and even spiritual. To practice the Sabbath is to practice trust in God. Whatever you say you believe about the sovereignty of God, and I know you adopts have a very high view of the sovereignty of God. If you are a workaholic, you don't actually believe what you say you believe. Your life and your inner heart disposition does not match your theology. You're not smoking what you are selling, as they said back in the 90s. And this is harder than ever right now. Part of my Sabbath practice is to turn off all of my devices, including my phone, everything else. So no, that means no news, no contact, no alerts. I'm out of touch every single week for a full 24 hours. In 2020, and particularly when you're in leadership, that is not an easy thing to do. And finally, it's to even stop wanting. I think of the book of Nehemiah from there all the way up to the blue laws in America in the 60s and 70s. There was no buying and selling on the Sabbath. And the point of that was to index our heart away from greed and discontentment and dissatisfaction and the lust for more to gratitude and contentment and joy and delight. God. And in stopping for each, for a day, each week, we win the battle against hurry in our soul and our society. I love this from Alan Fadling. The Sabbath is God's antidote for our hurried, harried pace of life and gives us the unhurried one in seven rhythm woven into the fabric of creation. That seventh day is a space for us to enter into a needed recovery and perhaps go through the inevitable withdrawals from the hurry, drivenness, and workaholism that plagues so many of our lives families, communities, and organizations. On the Sabbath, hurry becomes a vice, the exact opposite of our workaday's world way of making it a virtue. Sabbath is like the secret weapon on the war on hurry. So first, Sabbath is about stopping. Secondly, it is about resting. When used as a verb, Shabbat, most of the time is translated rest, as in Genesis 2, God rested on the Sabbath day. This is, again, soul level, whole person rest. It's physical, you know, we sleep and we lie around. One study from Juan Carlos Lehrman out of the University of Arizona concluded that the human body is wired for a 25 hour day, which is why on the weekend we feel the need to sleep in and, quote, catch up on your sleep. Of course, this is exacerbated by electricity. I mean, all the studies say that prior to Thomas Edison and the light bulb, the average American slept 11 hours a night, middle of the bell curve. Now the average is seven. 
Can you imagine what that's done to our kind of emotional tenor of our society? I used to read the biographies of John Wesley or whatever great, you know, reformer who would get up at five in the morning to pray or four in the morning to pray. And I would think, man, I am so not hardcore at all for Jesus. And then I realized, oh, they all went to bed at like 6.30 p.m. Of course they got up to pray. What else would you do? There's something that is missing. We literally need to rest our body, physical rest, mental rest, where we set aside the hard work of problem solving and let our mind come to peace, emotional rest. Abraham Heschel used to say, it's a sin to be sad on the Sabbath day. My wife and I um, do our very best to set aside any kind of hard conversations on the Sabbath, you know, to not get in a fight or talk about something sad or a decision that's scary, not because like to live in denial. No, we need to turn and face all of that. But the same way that you do on Christmas or a birthday or an anniversary, it's not that it's a bad conversation, it's that there's a time to have it and there's a time to just set it aside and be at peace. And then even spiritual rest, you know, I think it's fascinating. Orthodox Jews on the Sabbath refuse to practice any kind of intercessory prayer because it's a form of work in biblical theology where we partner with God for the kingdom to come in heaven as it is on earth. I pray a lot on the Sabbath, I really do. But if you were to follow me around with the hidden camera and watch me pray, it would look suspiciously like sitting on the couch and drinking coffee, or this time of year sitting on my back deck and just looking around at the trees. I love this from Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God. Sabbath is about trust. Sabbath is turning over to God all those things, our money, our work, our status, our reputations, our plans, our projects, that we're otherwise tempted to hold tight in our own closed fists onto for dear life. On the Sabbath, we release the illusion of control to God and rest itself is an act of trust in God. And this way of life, it is embedded into the fabric of creation itself. I mean, I love this kind of little insight in Genesis 1. You know, if you've read that, God created a pattern for time by naming it, naming the day as, quote, evening followed by morning, end quote. Go read Genesis 1. Rather than, as we think of it in the West, morning followed by evening. In Western culture, the day technically starts at midnight, but in our kind of cultural consciousness, it starts when you wake up in the morning. That's the start or the beginning of the day. But in Hebrew culture, based on Genesis 1, the beginning of the day is sundown, not sunrise. Eugene Peterson has this beautiful insight into Genesis 1 and the evening and morning. The Hebrew evening-morning sequence conditions us to the rhythms of grace. We go to sleep, God begins his work. As we sleep, he develops his covenant. We wake and are called to participate in God's creative action. We respond in faith and in work, but always grace is previous and primary. We wake into a world we didn't make, into a salvation we didn't earn. I love that. The day starts with sleep and the week starts with Sabbath. That is a biblical theology of justification by grace through faith thousands of years before the Apostle Paul. It's like God set all of this up for our soul. But we're just getting to the best part. Number three, Sabbath is about delighting. Sabbath can be translated, or Shabbat can be translated to delight. Again, it's a verb. It's a kind of resting 
that is not just a nap, but it's a feast, it's a party, it's a celebration. It's easy to think about the Sabbath just in the negative, and this was me for a long time. I'm saying no to work, paid or unpaid. I'm saying no to my devices. I'm saying no to buying and selling or to worry or to whatever. But really it's about creating space in your life and your schedule and your mind and your imagination and your relationships for delight. After all, in Hebrew, you know, you read that God, quote, blessed the Sabbath day. The Hebrew word blessed there is barak, and it can be translated happy, meaning it's a blessed or it's a happy day. A question to give shape to your practice, in particular if you're new to the Sabbath, is what could I do for a 24-hour time period that would just fill my soul with a throbbing delight? Psychologists have a term for this, when you save kind of all of the good things that you love and you put them all close together on a special event, like you know a birthday or an anniversary or some kind of a retirement party or whatever it is, or a vacation a lot of the time. They call it pleasure stacking. We do that on the Sabbath, like once a week, it's a day for pleasure stacking with God and his world. We have special foods that we eat only on the Sabbath. We are never, ever on a diet on the Sabbath. If we have a good bottle of wine, we open the good one. If the one night of the week that we always have dessert, I allow myself to drink all the coffee I want the next morning. I allow myself to read fiction and not feel like I'm wasting my time. My wife and I often spend uninterrupted time together with the door locked, you married couples. Like it's just a day we do, we eat ice cream together in the summer as family. It's just a day to just delight your soul in the goodness of God and his world. Our world is full of so much ugliness and pain and suffering. And we are not to close our eyes to that. And our newsfeed often just makes a bad problem worse by training our mind to focus on all of the ugliness and pain and suffering and injustice and not even see in our field of vision all of the beauty and goodness and truth and, and self-giving sacrificial love. And there's a time and a place to look at all that is painful in the world. But Sabbath is a day to feed our soul with beauty, to rewire the neural pathway of our brains, to quote, rejoice in the Lord always. I love what Marva Dawn says about the Sabbath. Observing the Sabbath gives us the opportunity to be as careful as we can to fill our lives with beauty and to share beauty with the world around us. When we observe a day especially set apart for beauty, all the rest of life is made more beautiful. The Sabbath becomes a garden park in the midst of the technization of life. It brings us tranquility and intimacy, sensitivity and creativity, butterflies and goldfinches and roses. She was up in Vancouver, BC. In a larger sense, the whole practice of Sabbath keeping makes me feel more beautiful. As I spend the day reflecting on the character of God, I am overwhelmed by his love for me. As I feast upon his goodness in all of its beautiful forms, I realize more profoundly that I am a special part of his creation and designed especially for his purposes in a uniquely beautiful way. For many of us, joy doesn't just happen, right? Richard Foster called joy a consciously chosen way of thinking and feeling. 
Another author I read recently said joy is 90% perspiration and 10% inspiration. Set the math aside. The Sabbath is just a day to give your soul over to joy. Yes, it's a day for spiritual disciplines and Bible reading and church and prayer and community. Yes, to all of that. It's also a day for pleasure stacking and celebration and gratitude and ice cream, if that's your thing. And if it's not, please get a pastor to pray with you. Number four, Sabbath is about last worshiping. I say this, save this one for last because there's a pattern. This is not biblical theology here. There's just a pattern that I have come to notice, at least in my own inner phenomenology and felt experience of Sabbath, that I kind of use to order this teaching. And that pattern is from stopping to resting to delighting to worshiping. I find that when I stop, slow down or I actually come to rest, whole person rest, mind, body, spirit even. And then when I begin to actually kind of delight in God, to make an intentional effort to just delight in my life before God, I find just this kind of natural progression in my spirit to worship. I start to just thank God and praise God and God, you're so good and God, thank you so much for this moment and God, it's, it's good to be alive. And by the end of Sabbath, I will often find myself out on a walk or whatever in the forest near my house, just breaking into song or, or humming or just saying praise God or breaking out into the language of the spirit. Ruth Haley Barton in her book, Sacred Rhythms, in her chapter on the Sabbath, writes about a similar pattern in her own life. Quote, I know what it's like to rest for hours until I have the energy to delight in something. Good food, a good book, a leisurely walk, a long-awaited conversation with someone I love. I know what it's like to feel joy and hope and peace flow back into my body and soul, though I had thought it might never come again. I know what it's like to see my home and my children through the Sabbath eyes of enjoyment. I know what it's like to have rest turn into delight and delight turn into gratitude and gratitude into worship. This is one of the many reasons that for most of you, Sunday really is the best day of worship. And for hundreds of years, Sabbath and Sunday worship and the Lord's Day were all synonymous for a follower of Jesus. In American culture, only in recent memory, they have been separated, but they go together as one. So all this to say, I invite you, Doxa Church, to practice Sabbath, to follow Jesus' example, to begin to take his yoke onto you, to set aside a full day, if at all possible, or if you can't do that right now, all right, four-hour block, two-hour block, whatever you can do, to just stop and rest and delight and worship. We're living through a fascinating time in human history, and it's like COVID-19 is like a global reset button. And a common refrain that I'm hearing from a lot of people in my circle and in our church that I love to hear is, I'm not going back to the way it was. And most of the time, people are referring to the hurry, the overload, the exhaustion, the chronic overactivity. I'm not going back to the way it was. Now is the time to develop new muscle memory, a new rule of life, a new rhythm and routine, a new way to follow Jesus that can stand whatever is coming, the kind of secular apocalypse that at least at a felt level we are living through. To end, you know, one of my favorite things about the Sabbath is that it comes every seven days. Unlike most of the other spiritual disciplines like silence and solitude or the confession of sin or fasting or whatever, 
I kind of schedule them in based on my own morning routine or week routine and my own felt need. Oh, I feel like I need to whatever, confess sin or fast this week or whatever, but not Sabbath. It's outside of my control. It is set for me. It comes every seven days. It comes when I want to Sabbath and when I don't. When I feel a felt need for the Sabbath and when I don't really. When I'm happy and when I'm sad. It comes in summer and it comes in winter and it's different each time. It comes when it feels like the world is doing just well, great. And it comes in the middle of COVID-19 and systemic injustice and political polarization when it feels like the world is falling apart. It comes to remind me, even the, in the age of coronavirus, that if I'm not okay, that's okay. That even in the dark night of the soul, even when our prayers go unanswered, even when we feel acute pain, there is rest to be had for our soul. We are not a machine, we are a human being. We are not God, we are finite, mortal, made from the dust, and that's okay. In fact, it's beautiful. Our life is fleeting. Every day is a precious gift. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And Sabbath is an invitation every single week, not just to turn off your phone and chill out. It's an invitation to enter the rest of God. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching into a time of response to reflect on and respond to the work of the Spirit. While we recognize it's hard to capture that in a podcast, we'd still encourage you to take a moment. Consider what the Spirit might be saying to you in response to what you heard. For more resources and details about how to join us on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. As we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.